Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors. I'm glad you're with us this morning. And as we're continuing our series, Supper with Friends, a study of meals with Jesus, looking primarily at the Gospel of Luke. And what we've been seeing in this series is that Jesus ate and drank a lot. Uh, Jesus loved going to parties. He loved throwing parties. So much so that his enemies accused him of doing it in excess. The Pharisees in Luke 7:34 said, look at Jesus. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Our God, the Christian God, is a God of hospitality and welcome. And as he transforms our hearts and our lives, we become a people of hospitality and welcome. So this morning we're going to look at Luke 14. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we look and read God's word to us this morning. I'm going to look at Luke 14, verse 1, and then jump to 12 through 24. This is his word to us. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of, these, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Isaiah 40 tells us, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would speak to us this morning. Remove me so that Christ and Christ alone speaks and that your Holy Spirit would press the scriptures into our hearts, into our minds, that it might change the way we live. I pray that we would understand your heart of welcome, your heart of grace and mercy, and that we, therefore, would be people of grace and mercy as we leave this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, one of the best parties that I've ever been to, hands down, was one of my best friend Marshall's wedding. It was in Los Angeles, California. Marshall is a pastor. He married a woman born and raised in L.A. whose dad got into real estate uh, a long, long time ago in Los Angeles. So let's just say they, they were, they're doing okay. Uh, they're doing all right financially. Uh, the whole weekend was a blast. The rehearsal dinner was on the rooftop of the L.A. Athletic Club overlooking the city of Los Angeles. The wedding reception was at one of the most historic ballrooms in all of L.A. There was a phenomenal band, great food, good drink. You would have wanted to be invited 
to this party. It was a great time. And the thing that made it even more special for me was that I was invited to be one of four groomsmen in the wedding. Marshall has many friends and could have asked many to be with him, but he asked me to stand with him on one of the biggest days of his life. Invitations communicate. Invitations communicate desire, value, love. Through Marshall's invitation to the wedding, people understood that they were wanted at this L.A. party. And through the invitation to be a groomsman, I knew and I know that he loves me deeply as a friend. Isn't it fun to get invitations in the mail? You kind of know it's an invitation and you want to open it and, and see what you've been invited to. Or that email, that evite comes in and you want to click it and see what you've been invited to. It communicates being wanted. The desire that the host has for you, the, the value that the host places on you. In Luke 14, Jesus is invited to a party. And then he tells of a party that each of us are invited to. In verse 1, Luke writes, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Jesus is invited to a prestigious party, and he accepts. This is not a casual meal. This is not a potluck. This is a $500 a head dinner. This is an expensive dinner party with very important people. This was a ruler of the Pharisees. The host was an extremely important religious leader and a social elite. Imagine a modern day home with, uh, for this wealthy Pharisee. It would be a house large enough and a dining room large enough to, to hold a 14 foot table. And imagine today this scene, there would be a bunch of Presbyterians and some Baptists and some Episcopalians gathered around and then there's Jesus. And Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath in verse 2. And in one sense, he heals this man because he is full of compassion. But in another sense, he does this because he knows that these religious elites, verse 1, are watching him. And Jesus' intent is to offend these Pharisees. These Pharisees are all about external obedience, adherence to the law. They knew very well the Sabbath law, which was to keep it holy. And with their strict adherence to the law came self-righteousness and pride. The Pharisees were externally focused while their interior was filled with love of self. Kent Hughes said that the Pharisees and scribes, despite all their God talk and religious posturing, were a selfish, self-seeking, ambitious lot. This was a tense party. I mean, can you imagine Presbyterians and Baptists and Episcopalians all gathered around a table jockeying about whose theology is better and whose life is pure, who's more externally put together? And Jesus heals this man, and you can almost feel the religious crowd racing to see who could be the first to call out Jesus for breaking the Sabbath law. It's exactly what Jesus wants to happen. Because Jesus wants their true self to come out. He wants to offend their self-righteousness and pride. And I love how Jesus does this in the scriptures. One of his most often used strategies is to offend the religious and, and welcome those on the outside. And it's a rebuke to the church today, which often does the reverse. We welcome the religious, the externally put together and offend those on the outside. I wonder what it would be like if we lived a little bit more like Jesus. 
Well, in verse 12, Jesus tells a parable about a great banquet. And in verse 24, he calls it my banquet. So we know that this great banquet in this parable is, is talking about the great meal of salvation that the Messiah prepares and provides. And Jesus' banquet, the Messiah's banquet, is a contrast to the very banquet Jesus is attending. So let's look at verses 12 through 24. And the verse, first thing that I want us to see is the gracious invitation of the host. Look at verses 12 through 14. Jesus tells the Pharisee, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives or rich persons, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now, Jesus is using exaggeration here, as he does in other times of his teaching. He, he's using a, a teaching technique to drive a point home. Jesus isn't saying you should never have friends over or family over or the rich over for a party. I mean, Luke writes the gospel to Theophilus, who's one of the social elites. What Jesus is doing in telling this parable is contrasting the Pharisees' party, which was a party of reciprocity. The host invites people that could benefit the host, people that had something to offer the host. This was a social networking party for the elite. It's a party full of people whose lives were driven by being first, by being big, and by being found important. We learn, all of us do from a young age, that being first and being important gives value. I can remember in kindergarten, I still, I can, I mean, I can see the scene being, uh, teams being picked for dodgeball and in this internal angst of, man, I really want to be first. I want everyone to know that I'm good at dodgeball and please don't let me be last. Right? Rachel and I love the Netflix show, Anne with an E. Anne's an orphan adopted by Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, who are brother and sister. And she comes to live with them in Avonlea, and Anne has this great fear about being welcomed and accepted. Her whole life she's been discarded and, un and unwanted and picked on. And she wonders, will, will people accept me? Will people love me? And you've been there. You've wondered that. I've wondered that. We've asked the same question. Will people love me? Will people accept me? As we get older, we just learn to hide that fear that we all have had since we were children. Will, will I be liked? Now, our world teaches us to be first, to be important. And so we spend our lives as we grow up hiding this fear, jockeying against one another, measuring ourselves against each other, whether it be our jobs or our education or our families, and to get even more ugly, our spirituality, our theology, and our ministry. We all have this internal bookkeeping constantly taking place within our hearts, checking off and measuring when and where we're more than others and we're less than others. Thankfully, God's party, it's a party of grace. And God invites people to his banquet who have nothing to offer because God shuts this bookkeeping record that we've all lived with our whole lives. Jesus has provided everything he is the one who's kept the law perfectly. He is the beloved son in whom we receive all the benefits of salvation. He gives us his perfect record as we trust in him. Those invited to God's party are the poor, the crippled, the lame. These are those we know who've been forced by society to be low, 
They've been pushed down and they've been pushed out. And we'll see that these are the very ones who accept the invitation because they know their need and they trust God's provision. The rich and the powerful, the elite, need the poor and the crippled and the lame to break down their value system of feeling superior according to the world's standards and to teach the way of God, which is a gracious welcome to those who know they offer nothing, trusting that God provides everything. Jesus tells this parable, and those in attendance would have known the custom of the day. And the custom of the day is that when there was a banquet, when there was a party, there were always two invitations extended. The first invitation was sent out to get an RSVP. Who, who can attend? Who's going to be coming to this party? And then the host would get the RSVPs and would spend days killing enough animals, preparing the food, so that then the second invitation could be extended and, and say to everybody, it's ready. Come and feast. The party is prepared. That's what we see happening in verses 16 through 17. And what Jesus is doing is being very clear to these Pharisees that the first invitation to come to God's party of salvation was extended to the people of God in the Old Testament. And now that Jesus was here, he was extending the second invitation that the meal is ready, that the Messiah has come, that in Christ we have everything we need for salvation. Church, God has prepared the meal. In Christ's life, in his death, and in his resurrection, the feast is ready. God's invitation to feast on his salvation is extended. The question is, are you willing to come? He wants you to come. Would you leave the world's way of, of being first and big and important and trust that in our offer of nothing, in our knowledge that we offer nothing, we gain everything through Jesus? The second thing I want us to see is not just the gracious invitation of the host, but I want us to look at this guest list uh, at this banquet. Verse 18 says, those invited to the banquet began to make all kinds of excuses for not attending. Now this would be extremely rude. Right? The food was ready. They had RSVP that they're coming. The meal's prepared. And now they're making all kinds of excuses of why they can't attend. Commentator Leon Morris calls this the parable of excuses. People just simply didn't want to come. Uh, there was no other explanation. They were busy preparing their own interests. They thought they had something better to do, whether it be family issues, work issues, you name it. They were coming up with excuses. Now, I realize that there are some people, maybe some of you, that treat Jesus' invitation unto salvation in the same way. All of us have been invited to the great banquet of salvation, this life in union and in communion with the living God. Yet some will not come. Excuses are made. And if, if we've come before, maybe there's excuses we're making right now to keep distance from not coming again to Jesus. Uh, these excuse, excuses can range. Maybe God's of no interest right now to you. You just have no interest. You're not even sure why you're here on, on a Sunday morning. And we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Whatever reason that got you to come. Maybe your excuses. You know, God's not as important as some other interest in my life right now. My career has my affection or my future or my children or this dating relationship that I, I'm in. Maybe an excuse is God's just not as attractive as some of these other earthly pleasures that you engage in. 
like sex or alcohol or power. Maybe your excuse is, you know, you're, you're young. When you're older, you can come back to God. Right now, life's too busy, life's too full. When you're older, you'll come to God. We all have excuses. I think our greatest excuse, the, the, the reason behind our excuse, at least, is, is that we have a deep love of self. Our deep interest in, in self is what keeps us away from coming to Jesus. I think our life is better than life with him. You know, Thursday I played nine holes of golf. I didn't come up with excuses to miss golf. I moved my schedule around to make sure I could play. You know why? Because I love to play golf. We move our schedules around to prioritize our loves. Our love of self is what keeps us from coming to Jesus either for the first time or coming to Jesus today or tomorrow or the next day. We all need Jesus. We need his love proclaimed in the banquet of salvation to grip our hearts and to change our loves. We need the love of Christ to break through, to break through our self-interest so that we can come and receive everything he's offered to us. If you're honest, what's your honest, honest excuse for not coming to Jesus? Maybe, maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but there is a reason that you won't come to Jesus either today or for the first time. You know, the proud and the self-important don't accept God's offer to the party. But you know who does? The prostitute, the tax collector, the poor, the crippled, those who know their need and trust God's provision. The host in this parable is God. And in verses 21 and 22, it says, go out to the streets and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the lame. The same description as verse 13. The marginalized and pushed out are the ones who are invited in by Jesus, and they are the ones who accept the invitation because the world has told them they offer nothing, and God says that's exactly what you need to gain everything. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, writes of a prostitute in Chicago who asked if she'd ever thought of going to church for help, and she cried out, church? Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. Listen, church, if we aren't people of brokenness, all of us knowing our own brokenness, and we know that we offer broken people an invitation to the feast, we've got to shut what we're doing because we're not being the church. God forbid we're a church of self-righteous people, spiritually prideful people, because that leads to being nothing but unwelcoming to those outside. Jesus ate with those on the outside. Jesus invited those who were pushed away, and he did so to identify himself with them. Jesus was saying in eating with them, these are my people, those who know they offer nothing, and those who trust me and gain everything. Eating today is still a way of identification. When you eat a meal with someone, it affirms the other person that you're both there receiving something from each other. It's a table of equals. Tim Chester, I love what he says. Tim Chester said, if you tell someone that they're a sinner who needs God while you're handing them a cup of soup, then they will hear you saying that they're a loser who should become like you. But when you eat together and tell them what a messed up person you are, then you can tell them about sin and grace and the gospel of salvation. Meals are a place where genuine friendships can be forged, regardless of race, age, class, political position, 
all sharing together, knowing that no one is superior to each other. And we're going to be tempted, all of us will be tempted to eat with and table with people that look like us, think like us, and believe like us. What would it look like for you to have a guest list that looks like God's guest list? For you to invite people into your life and around your table that are different than you? What does it look like for the poor to invite the wealthy to the table? So like for the wealthy to invite the poor, what is it like for different cultures to invite other cultures to the table? What is it like for the young to invite the old or the old to invite the young or the single to invite the married or the married to invite the single? Our meal as Christians is a, is a meal of equals, equally in need, equally welcomed by Jesus. The last thing I want us to look at is the compelling call by the servants the parable the master tells the servants, go out quickly, go out and compel that my house may be filled. This is familiar language to what we find in Matthew 28, which is known as the Great Commission. Go, go to all people, go to the nations, go. Church is sent out on mission to the world and as Christians, we are God's servants who summon our neighbors and our coworkers and the nations to come feast at the Messiah's banquet. We are the commissioned. We are the ones who go and compel people to come and to feast. Compel is not the use of physical force, but it does mean persuade. There is a force, a spiritual force at work, Holy Spirit persuasion that comes as he grips our hearts with the grace and wonder of the gospel. As we're gripped by Christ, it bleeds out of our ordinary day in and day out. It bleeds out over something as ordinary as a meal with someone. And people are drawn to Jesus as we live life with them in the day in and day out. And it's easy to think that the church's role of building community or being on mission belongs to professional Christians belongs to the staff of Christ Central Church, no way. It belongs to every single one of you. Jesus didn't run projects or create programs or put on events. Jesus ate meals with people. It's not that hard or that complicated. Hospitality is not always easy, but it's not complicated. And this is the call for every single one of us. I love what Simon Carey Holt wrote, said, at base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. Hospitality is not always nice formal dinners. It's not always a clean house with a set table. Actually, sometimes that can be more about making an impression on a guest than it is really about hospitality. Hospitality can be dirty dishes, crying babies. It can be just a cup of coffee. Hospitality is opening your home to strangers and paying attention and listening and offering a place of peace and beauty and rest and joy. Yeah, I know there are people in our community uh, who wished, and times, I'm, this is me, we were doing more in our city 
We are doing things. We do have programs and projects that we're doing that we want to engage in with our city. And I know there are people that wish we would do more. And if that's you, let me just say, if you want to do something, turn to someone in your row, introduce yourself and invite them over for a meal. Because there are people here that need to be welcomed. And there are people that live near you, work with you, and play with you that you see on a weekly basis that need to be welcomed. So let me ask you, are you going? And if you're going, are you inviting? And then even more convicting is, is your life compelling? Is your, is your life persuasive? The mission strategy of the church is not that complicated. As, as we're gripped by Christ and his grace that abounds to us, we invite people in. And Jesus bleeds out from us and we persuade people. We persuade people by our delight in him. We persuade people by the fun that we have in life that he's given us. We persuade people by the love that we have for them and for the world. We persuade people by the freedom that we live life with. We persuade people by the hope that we have that all will be made right in a broken and fallen world. This weekend, Rachel and I watched the movie documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, about Mr. Rogers, who I grew up watching. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. He was way ahead of his time. Mr. Rogers was way ahead of his time. You know, Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day. in the. Y'all know Mr. Rogers, right? Won't you be, won't you be my neighbor? It, he started that way for a purpose. He says this in the movie, this question, won't you be my neighbor, is an invitation for someone to be close to you. Everyone longs to be loved and longs to know that he or she is lovable, he said. Consequently, the greatest thing we can do is to help someone know they are loved and capable of loving by being a good neighbor. That's our call to go and be a people of love and invite people into loving relationships where they can know that they are loved by us where they can know that they are lovable, mostly that they are loved by God. Now, I know we can all have excuses for not offering hospitality and inviting in, so let me preempt some of you. Some of you find it scary, right? Some of you find it scary to invite people into your life or into your home. Would, would anybody judge you? Would anybody judge your home? Would anybody judge your family, right? The plenty or the lack. Now, if we understand the welcoming heart of God and that he delights in us and rejoices over us in our brokenness, we don't need to feel any pressure to perform. We don't need to have our ducks in a row for people to enter our lives and enter our, our home. They can see the messiness. In fact, the messiness can be what God uses to draw people to Jesus. So I know it's scary. Some of you, you're like, this is costly. It's costly. Food costs money. Having people over takes time. And let me just say, you don't have to spend a lot of money to be hospitable. You can invite, invite someone over for a cookie and coffee. Or if you're single and you want to reach out to a family and you think, how can I have all these children in my apartment? Meet for a picnic. Provide peanut butter and jelly. There's ways to be creative uh, if cost is a, is a thing and a financial burden for you. And let me just say right here, this is why we've put into our budget this mission grant, this money that you can apply for uh, to, to be thinking about how to be hospitable and, and creative to, to, 
to do fun things and communal things and to be about uh, causes within our city to invite people into those things. So please, please apply for this money. We want to use it. Uh, and your generosity to our church allows us to be creative in these ways, to use money for the sake of God's mission. And I'll just close here on the, the excuse of cost. I think we have to remember uh, that the banquet table of the Messiah was costly. It cost Jesus his life. So it will feel costly at times, but it's worth it. Here's the third excuse that we might say, life's just too busy. <laughs> We're busy right now. A lot going on in our life, a lot of my job, my family, and I do know there's busy seasons in life. So you might need to be more intentional, and you might need to plan a little bit more in advance. But if you think about it, everyone has to eat. And most of us eat three meals a day, seven days a week. That's 21 opportunities that you have to table with, eat with someone without adding anything to your already busy schedule. Fit it into what you're already doing. In church, we should be the, the ones who throw the best parties, filled with fun and laughter, genuine conversations, listening, enjoyment of one another. The very last chapter of the Bible, where we're all headed is a wedding feast where Christ and the people of God are wed for eternity. And it will be the party of all parties. Those in attendance won't be just overlooking downtown Los Angeles like I was at Marshall's wedding. We will be dwelling in the new heavenly city, feasting and dancing and rejoicing and enjoying God and one another for all eternity. You're invited. There's room at the table. God longs for his home to be filled. Will you come? And if you're willing to come, will you go? And will you invite people to come? Because God is at work in Durham, and he's at work in, in the world. So let us be a people that go and invite and trust that God will do his work of graciously welcoming people to the great banquet of salvation. Trust me. God's party is a party that no one wants to miss. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would let us see your gracious welcome, your heart and your arms wide open to welcome all who come confessing our need and trusting your provision. God, your grace and mercy and love abound in ways that we really can't fathom, in ways that really we find it hard to believe at times. We're so used to measuring ourselves over and against one another and over against this world that we don't know what grace really is. We feel like we have to earn it, but with you, we don't. With you, you've provided everything. And I pray that that truth would compel us to be a people who are persuasive, not because we're going out and we're, you know, handing out tracts and doing anything crazy, but that we live lives that are persuasive because we know the love of Jesus that abounds to us. And if it leads us to hand out tracts, we hand out tracts. If it leads us to have people over for dinner, we have people over for dinner. God, I do pray that we would be people of hospitality, inviting people in to your salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.